If you have your Bibles, open them to Exodus chapter 16. Once again, your pastor chews off more than he can, or bites off more than he can chew. Uh, I'm going to try to preach you this entire thing in 35 minutes, and it's not going to happen, Marty, just so you know. But I'll try. I'm grateful for what God has given us today as we continue this series that we started about three weeks ago here in the book of Exodus. Uh, uh, we're kind of talking about the deliverance. Exodus is all about deliverance, but especially starting with their emancipation from Egypt and God taking them across the Red Sea. Uh, he over and over again delivers Israel uh, in their wilderness experience, and we can thank God that he delivers us. Today we're going to watch uh, as he, God, provides bread for Israel, bread from heaven, uh, and he's going to use uh, this provision as a teaching opportunity as well. Did you know that God does that when he provides for us, whatever it is? Well, not whatever it is, everything we have. Huh. Everybody gets that all that we have comes from him, right? Let me try that again. Everybody gets that all that we have comes from him, right? Yeah, get vocal, people. Come on. On that one, you better say yes. Anyway, uh, uh, everything that we have comes from him. And as he provides for us, he wants to teach us uh, in crucial uh, following lessons, crucial principles uh, that are tied to his provision. We, we a lot of times fail. I, I know in my own personal life, uh, I had this one instance when I was 10 years old and my mom took my sisters and I to Kmart. That's not even a store anymore, I don't think. Uh, but that was kind of, that was our tax bracket, if you know what I'm talking about. We, we didn't have a lot of money when we were growing up. And so uh, we went to Kmart and, and as proof that we didn't have a, money, a lot of money, my mom reached into her wallet and she pulled out Five single dollar bills. This is back in the 70s, so it was a little bit more then. But he pulled, she pulled out five bucks and she handed it, five bucks to each one of, these, uh, of us kids. This doesn't happen. This is not normal. This is, we, yeah. And so we're, <laughs> this is the most money I've ever seen in my life. I'm 10 years old. And uh, she says, okay, it's like November. And she says, this is for you to go out and buy gifts for each other for Christmas. All right. And so I want you to shop apart from each other. You know, I know you'll probably be in the toy section, or, but, but just try to stay away from each other and just, you know, split it in half. What's that? $3? Close enough. Uh, just split it in half and, and buy some. And you could do that back then. You, you know, you could buy stuff for a dollar or two. Anyway, what did I do? Anybody want to guess what I did? $5. I'm not buying them anything. I went straight to the toy section, and I had been, in, in, in previous trips to Kmart, I had been eyeing this dart gun. Oh, it's so cool. It had four darts and it kind of rotated as you shot each dart. And so it was kind of like a dark Gatling gun. And I was like, that's what I'm buying. And I was super shifty. I, I took this up when my mom and sisters weren't watching and I bought it without them seeing. It was all of the $5. But I'd already reasoned in my head, I'll get them something, you know, from somewhere else. And so as, uh, you know, luck would have it, I don't believe in luck, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I went to school the next week and we made uh, ornaments out of like flower dough. I don't even know what, I mean, and so I made stars, ornament stars for my sisters, put their names on them. I'm like, there, boom, dart gun, gifts, check, check, done. Everything was going great till Christmas morning. We started on opening the gifts and stuff like that, and, and I opened what my sister got me, you know, a comic book, Spider-Man, I don't know, my other sister got me something, and, and then it came time for them to open the gifts that I had wrapped for them, and they pulled out these lousy ornaments. And my mom looked straight at me, Mark, what'd you do with the, with the $5 I gave you? And that's when I produced for the first time, knowing all along, this was probably wrong. Has anybody ever done this? <laughs> Hadn't pulled the dart gun out yet, but I pulled it out, and I was like, I bought this. Merry Christmas to me. And you know where the dark gun went? Not in the trash. Top of the fridge. Same thing, right? Anybody put toys on the top of the fridge when your kids were young? 
It's probably still there. It's probably still on the top of my mother's fridge somewhere. <laughs> didn't get to use it. Why? Because I didn't learn the lesson. I've been given uh, this resource for a purpose, to learn generosity, to learn to love and to give, and blew it. Uh, humans are like that. When they're given, they, uh, they don't glorify the one who gives. When they're given, um, they, they quickly forget what they've been given and forget, quickly forget that the one who gives will give again. We're going to see that happen today. Now, there's all kinds of mess that goes on. Uh, but as we watch God provide, he's already provided in so many ways, but as we watch him provide on this day, uh, the, the sustenance, the bread that Israel lacks, um, I want us to ask this question. What does God want to teach Israel by giving them manna? And, and the question behind that for us is what does God want to teach us when he provides for us? Now, this is one of those uh, longer chapters in Exodus, and, and I had like six sermons. This could have been its own series, just this one chapter. And so I narrowed it to like six things, and then yesterday I came in, narrowed it to four, and then this morning I cut it down to two. So hopefully this will be done in time. But the two chief things that God wants to teach us uh, as he gives manna to Israel and as he gives things to us uh, are these things. He wants us to learn obedience to him. Might not be what you thought of first, uh, but would it surprise you to know that as God gives manna, he gives rules that govern the use of manna? And he does it all so that we can learn to, to walk according to his precepts, according to his principles. And so when he provides to us, he, he wants us to learn obedience to him. But he, he doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us to learn continued dependence on him, trusting him for what we lack in the future. So let's watch these lessons unfold in Exodus 16, starting in verse 1. Everybody there with me? So if you were here last week, Travis just preached the snot out of that text. And uh, snot? Is that in the Bible? I don't even know. But uh, uh, he preached the, the last few verses of, of chapter 15 so well. Uh, the Israel, if you weren't here, had uh, you know, started into the wilderness and heading towards the promised land. That after three days, they were thirsty. There was no water in a desert for them to drink. And so God brought them to a pool. But the pool mm, was full of bitter water, undrinkable water. He, they called it Mara, which in Hebrew means bitter. And then God said, hey, Moses, take a tree. And, and Travis just did a beautiful job of that. Go back and watch it if you haven't. But take a tree, throw it in the water, and I'll make what's bitter sweet. And so he provided them the water that they needed to drink. They filled up their canteens, and it tells us here that they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Uh, don't read too much into that. That's a Hebrew word. It's not our word, sin. But they, they just went in this direction towards, uh, well, kind of towards Israel, and, uh, and, and it, which was between Elam and Sinai, and it was on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. That, that little time stamp there kind of helps us know how long it's been since they've left Egypt. It says in chapter 12 that uh, on the first month, around the middle of the first month, the Passover took place, and then we know that that night, uh, the firstborn in Egypt died. The next day, or even that night, Pharaoh says, get out of here. So it's only been since the middle of the first month, now to the middle of the second month, 30 days. That's basically the time frame that we're, we're working in. So Red Sea, Mara, all of these things have taken place. In the last 30 days, it says the whole congregation, verse two, that means all y'all <laughs> in Israel, uh, when they got out in the woods, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Why? Well, because uh, they said this, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. I wish we were still slaves. 
I would have much rather have died a slave and been able to eat. Uh, they say, I wish I had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we set. This is kind of some revisionist history. Does anybody have this in your life? The good old days syndrome? You kind of remember things a little rosier than they actually were. Don't forget, these guys were slaves. We know from the telling of their story that they were continually put upon by Egypt, made to do more and more and more. It was hard there. Uh, But when things are hard here, the good that was back in the hard there seems better than the hard that's here. That's a lot of hards and here's and there's, but you know what I'm saying, right? And so they're looking back and they're remembering fondly the meat pots. We had so much meat, we had to store it in pots. And the bread that we ate to the full. I'm guessing on certain feast days this was the case, but normally we can under, you know, expect or, or assume in, in, in a, a slave's life, it's not like they're eating like kings. No, but that's how they remembered it. I wish that I had died back there with my belly full and to have you bring us out here into the wilderness and to kill the whole assembly of us with hungry hunger. Does everybody get what they just levied at Moses and Aaron? You're murderers. You're not just murderers, you're genocidal murderers. You brought an entire nation out in the woods to die. Back in verse 2 when it says grumble, don't think like... This is not like a kind of... This is... Anger, vitriol. The Hebrew word grumble is like, uh, you know, verbally accosting. You know, unlike what happens in our streets. these Anyway, um, there, there's, there's a lot of, of anger behind what's happening in this story. And, and just, I, I don't have time to preach everything in this chapter, but a little bit later in verses 7 and 8, uh, Moses and Aaron bring up this grumbling, this anger, and they say, hey, who are we? What are we that you're grumbling against us? We're nobodies. Just so you know, when you grumble, when you complain, you're complaining against God himself. That's verse 8. This is something that kind of gets lost in our Christian lives, isn't it? We think God's at church. I'll see him on Sunday. We think God's this, you know, uh, this this, uh, red phone hotline that we call when we got something that we need. We don't understand that God is in the midst of everything that we are and that we do. And that when we complain about our jobs or our bosses or our spouses or our kids or our parents or our whatever, what we're really doing is we're complaining against God and his provision to us in all of those things. Don't miss that. Eleanor was a great mom. Uh, and, and when our kids would kind of sin against each other, one of her first things to do in, in many of the times that I heard her kind of help them work through their stuff is say, okay, listen, first of all, you've got to confess your sin to the God that you sinned against. That's where we start. Because every sin that you do is first an offense to him. And so confess your sin to God. And, and seek his forgiveness. And then go to each other. You shouldn't hit each other with Tonka trucks. That's bad. Don't do that. But she was great at that, and, and, and she, in doing that, reminded me, yeah, when I, when I sin or when I grumble, complain, it's not just what's here on this plane that I'm sinning against or grumbling against. It's the God uh, who gave me life. So don't have time to preach that. But uh, they're grumbling against God again, going to Moses and saying, great, you killed us. So God hears this. If you haven't read forward, what do you think happens next? 
I tell you what, I, if I was God, and we're all glad that I'm not, and we're all glad that you're not God. Is everybody glad? But if I was God, I'd be like, seriously? It's been like 30 days since the last of the plagues took place, since I parted an entire body of water and walked you across, since I uh, gave you to drink. I mean, this is like not even a, a few days ago. I gave you water to drink when you were thirsty. Don't you think that maybe I see that you're hungry and that I might provide for that? That's it, that's it, I'm done. We're done. And, and Exodus ends right there. That's what I would have done. Just, hey, that's enough. Three strikes, you're out. That's not what God does, though. Is anybody, is anybody glad that that's not what God does with us? I don't know what strike I'm on, but it's way past three. And God in his goodness... As I go through whatever, you know, I'm going through and as my hair gets on fire and I start yelling my, what are you doings, patiently loves me and constantly provides for me despite my rebellion. Man, what an amazing God we serve. I was uh, reading in the Bible in the Old Testament this week uh, in the book of Lamentations. It's a book of laments. It's a book of woe is me's. Everything stinks. It's Eeyore's book. But in the middle of Lamentations is one of the most encouraging, true statements. We made it a song. Lamentations 3, 23 and 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Anybody heard that one before? You know where they plop that one in your Bibles? In the middle of a bunch of woe is me. We deserve so much worse. But in our worst, God grants us his grace and his best. Hmm. So let's learn these things that we're meant to learn from God's provision here in the giving of bread from heaven. Uh, first, we should see that God's provision uh, should inspire in us obedience. We, we should inspi God's provision should inspire us to obey him. Look what it says in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Yeah, I see your hunger. And I'm not going to just close the book and end this right now. I'm, I'm going to continue to provide even though... Your people are whining. My people are whining. Uh, he says, I'm going to rain heaven, or bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Now, this was not their habit, uh, and it certainly isn't the habit of most people who are hungry. If you find a food store, you take as much as you can, not a day's worth. Like, anybody watch the show Alone? My wife loves the show Alone. It's about all these survivalists who go out in the Antarctic, and they basically just live there for as long as they can. Whoever taps out last wins like a half a million dollars. Pretty cool. And they just have, you know, their, their supplies and the land. And this one guy, he found this whole, like, uh, grove of berries. And he picked it clean. And he figured out a way to keep the animals from his berries. And he had it as a store for his entire, you know, next couple months of living in this region. That's how the Israelites had learned to forage, to collect for themselves. It wasn't a daily amount. You took as much. But, but God's going to tell them, as we'll get to that, um, you only take enough for the day. My, uh, weren't we taught to pray that? Give us this day our, yeah, okay. Lots of tie-ins tie with the manna. Um, but let's go on, and we'll, we're going to find out in the next few words why God gives the manna. It's not 
primarily for what you think. So he says in verse four, uh, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven to you and people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day so that they can eat. Is that what it says? So that they can have enough to survive. Is that what it says? No. His chief aim in providing the manna is to provide a test for Israel. He says that I may test them whether they, and here comes the obedience, whether they're going to obey me in the commands that I strap to the manna or not. Because here is God's chief aim in our survival, in our existence, that we would honor him, discern from him the path that he has for us and stick to it. He hasn't issued the commands of the law yet. If you've read ahead, way to go. You're a good student, star by your name. But if you've moved forward in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, anybody know what shows up? There's 10 of them. The commandments, nice play. Usually when I ask a question, I get God, Jesus, or Bible. Commandments was right, that's correct. The 10 commandments come up in Exodus chapter 20. And it's in those that, that, that God outlines his character, his desire for our, uh, our obedience. And, and so here is kind of a little litmus test, a little precursor to the obedience he's going to call Israel to. He says, I wonder if you guys can obey me in this. I'm going to strap a few rules to the manna. Let's see how you do. Huh. Anybody want to guess how they did? No. I should mention that, that this is not uncommon in Scripture. God's grace, while it is free, uh, is, is usually... Um, tied to some faith act on the delivered or the receiver of the grace, right? So like when the, the, the children of Israel heard from God that the last judgment on Egypt was going to be the death of the firstborn son, remember that? Remember what uh, God told Moses to tell them? Take a lamb, sacrifices, sacrifice it and take the blood of that lamb and wipe it where? On the door, right? So that uh, as the angel of death comes to your home, he'll see the door, your act of faithfulness, your obedience and he'll pass over your home and spare your son. Uh, Moses has this stick, and, and he uses it lots of different times, or it's used a lot of different times for lots of different things, but there's, there's always this, you know, stick it in the water and the Red Sea will part, or tap it on the rock and the water will come out. There's, there's obedience that's tied to the grace. Does everybody get that? And so it is here with the manna. There's going to be an expectation uh, let me just kind of summarize the expectations. Uh, only take enough bread for one day. Don't try to keep it overnight. Don't get out your Tupperware and see if you can hold it. And then, uh, this might be a, a lesser known one to you, on Friday, take a double portion. Because before, there was even a, a law in place, it's coming in Exodus 20, that says to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. God says, hey, let's practice. So on, on the Sabbath, on this seventh day, uh, you will not go out and collect food because you're going to use that day to rest and to remember who I am. If you can obey these rules, God says, if you can trust me in these rules, uh, then I'll know that you can obey the rules that are to come. That's, that's the test. Let's see how Israel does. Here's the summary. In verse 13, if you skip down there, um, it says, in the evening, quail. Remember they had said, I wish I was back in Egypt where I have meat and pots. So this one time in the story of Israel, he provides meat. If you want to go read more details on it, uh, probably the same instance is talked about in Numbers 11, and it says that the meat was, was uh, two cubits above the ground, three feet off the ground. 
and, and scholars have taken that different ways, but um, I've always been taught that that means there was so many quail, it was like snow on the ground, three feet off the ground. There was just so much quail. God's got a great sense of humor. You want meat? Here's, here's a pot full of meat for you. Three feet off the ground, quail everywhere you can see. But it's this one-time thing. In response to their grumbling about not having meat, he gives them meat. He's not going to do that for the rest of their journey through the wilderness, but he will continue to give them bread. So that evening, in response to the grumbling, he says, here's some quail. They came up and they covered the camp, and in the morning, dew laid around the camp. And when the dew, verse 14, had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake thing, fine as frost on the ground, powdery looking, granular, granularly, that's a hard word. Uh, When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Do you know what that word is or those words are in Hebrew? Man who? Or man huh? That's actually the the Israel uh, words for what is it, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And if you skip forward to verse 31, they took that first word or those first words they said about this stuff on the ground, man huh, and that's what they called it. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it, this is so great, the taste of it was like wafers made with honey, golden grams. Anybody like that cereal? (laughs) That stuff's delicious, right? And I don't have time to preach this, but can we all agree that the provision of God goes way beyond what we deserve because we deserve nothing? And the provision of God goes into realms that, like, like it says uh, in the New Testament, uh, that he will provide to us uh, oftentimes exceedingly abundantly and beyond what we can ask or think. Has anybody heard that before? Yeah, and, and, that's, and we take it so much for granted. I mean, he's hanging out. All they needed was something to subside on, something you know, subsist on. But he says, you know what? Let's make it sweet. Let's make it good to the taste. Now, go back from 31 to verse 16 with me. And Moses revisits the command. It's almost like he's saying to Israel, now listen, to whom much is given, much is expected. So let's reiterate, let's let's redo, go over again the commands that God has for his manna. This is what the Lord has commanded, verse 16. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall take an omer. An omer was about two quarts. So if you translate that to like a powdery or grainy substance, it's like, Five pounds, four pounds, five pounds, something like that. It's like one of those big bags of sugar you get at Costco. You with me? He says, everybody's going to need about that much to eat off during a day. So you shall all take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. So if parents were out collecting for their kids, kids get an omer, you get an omer, everybody gets an omer. You get a car and you get a, anyway, uh, that's, that's Oprah. Anyway, the, the people of Israel did so, it says, uh, they obeyed. And because of their obedience, because they walked out and sought to, you know, get about an omer, um, even as some of them gathered more and some of them gathered less, it worked out that everybody had what they need. Look what it says next, verse 18. When they measured it with an omer, when they actually got, I don't know, omer's a, a measurement of volume when they got an omer jug or something. When they measured it uh, with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. You know what that uh, alludes to? The fact that Israel took whatever this bread from heaven was that was on the ground, they collected it. Some of them had more to start, but others had less to start. And then what'd they do? They did what you get taught in kindergarten. They shared. And guess what would happen every day? As they picked up what was on the ground before the sun would hit it, we're gonna read that in a second, and, and would melt it away. Every day there would be enough 
amongst them uh, as they all agreed to share. If you, if you want to read about this a little bit more, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and where um, uh, Paul is talking about being generous to the church there in Corinth. He, he alludes to this store and he says, hey man, uh, God will take from your plenty to provide for someone else's need. He'll, he'll kind of bounce it out so everybody has uh, what they require. So verse 21, uh, morning by morning, they gathered this bread from heaven and each as much as he could eat. And when the sun grew hot, it melted. And, and for the most part, everybody's stuck with the, the commands, the rules that had been given to govern this bread, but that wouldn't last a day. Because Moses said to them again, one more time, let, let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Surprise, surprise. Some of them uh, left part of what they had collected till morning. And because they had disobeyed God's law, uh, that part of the manna that they had collected uh, started to breed worms. Yummy. And it even stank. So it was really easy to tell who broke the law. He just walked around the camp and was like, oh my gosh, what is that? This, you got some stanky manna in there. And when Moses found these who had gone against the command of God, it says he was angry with them. Uh, it's just a quick sentence, but that Hebrew word angry means livid. Dressed them down. Not just like tisk tisk. Oh, you guys. No, he, he was like, are you serious? And rightly so. Because we were going to, you know, eventually die of starvation. But God has provided. And he gave us like two rules. Take enough for the day and don't save it for tomorrow. But we're like pros at this, us humans, right? Like it's in bold print that we shouldn't do this. And here's what we do. We argue, yeah, but I'm doing all this. I'm doing all these other commands that you have for me, God. I'm, I'm, you know, I don't kick my dog when I go home and I'm kind to my, you know, spouse and, you know, I'm not a jerk to my kids and I, I go to work every week. I don't like it, but I go to work every week and I, I do all of these and I, I'm, I'm in the room or I'm watching online and I'm showing up and I'm doing all these things. And because I do all these things, guess what? I don't have to do these ones. You remember how it started in the garden? You can eat of any tree out there, but of this one tree I forbid. And what was the one tree that had this magnetic pole? Yeah, that's right, buddy. And that's the one that started our mess, right? Why? Because we love obeying most of the rules. We just want to have the ones that we want for ourselves. Is that you? I know it's me. I confess. I have high highs. I honor God in so many ways. I'd love to detail those to you. But if I'm honest, I have really low lows. Just utter rebellion. I get sloppy. I get uh, to the point where I justify. So I, I heard this quote this week um, about a preacher. Uh, a preacher uh, job, a preacher's job is to comfort the afflicted and then afflict the comfortable. I like that. I pray that, uh, you know, in the, in the times where life goes awry, uh, myself, Travis, the other pastors on our staff, 
we'll, we'll be here for you. We'll walk with you through whatever's going wrong. We'll, we'll encourage you when life comes apart. I pray that we're always that for each other, that we love each other as God has commanded us to do. But I pray that when you and I get comfortable, here, God, here's all the ways that I'm obeying you, but I am obstinate, rebellious in this one area. When, when those things are present, and they are in all of our lives, I can be the number one um, can opener, uh, bring in the, the, the wood pastor in your life. Because here's the deal. Sin is an offense to our God. No matter how well you've dressed it up, put lipstick on that pig, no matter how much you've justified, if it dishonors God, it, uh, it certainly needs his grace, and we're all grateful that he gives it, right? But it ultimately incurs his wrath. It brings harm to your relationship with him, to your relationship with others that he has given you. It hurts your testimony to a world that desperately needs him. We can't be soft on sin. When God gives to us, he gives to teach us to obey. The story goes on, look at verse 22. The story goes on, it says, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread. Why? Because they were gonna take the seventh day off, right? So everybody got two omers that day. Uh, 10 pounds of manna. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow's a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath day to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over laid aside to be kept until morning. So we know what they did with this manna stuff. They would bake some of it, bread probably, or bread like something, maybe banana bread. Ooh, nice. Anyway, um, uh, but then they would boil it as well. And as they boiled it, maybe that was, I don't know, like a porridge or an oatmeal or something like that, but that's, at least how it's revealed here, you know, what they would do to cook this stuff. But he was, the point was, hey, just save what you need for tomorrow. Uh, because tomorrow, it's, it's not going to be out there. So they laid it aside till the morning, verse 24, as Moses commanded, and, they, and it didn't stink. It didn't turn to worms and, 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 and make a mess. And Moses said to him, verse 25, so everything that kept on this seventh day, eat it today, for today is the Sabbath, uh, a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. No man on the ground. Six days you shall gather it. Here's the, here's the rules. Six days you'll gather manna, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there'll be none. Okay, I can maybe understand people being like, you know, I don't know if the manna's gonna show up tomorrow, so I'm gonna keep a little bit. So those, those first offenders, okay. But these second offenders, they're in their tents, and they're looking at what hasn't spoiled on that seventh day. There's all the manna that they need to eat today. And what do they do? They can't help themselves. Doubt is so deeply inside of them, or, or I don't know what it is, curiosity, wonder, whatever it is. But look at it says, on the seventh day, verse 27, some of the people went out to gather. Maybe they just weren't paying attention. Maybe they forgot. But of course they found none, because Moses had been clear. Man is not showing up on day seven. And so the Lord comes to Moses this time. Moses is probably ticked too, but the Lord says to Moses, how long will you, referring to Israel, refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? So if you read the rest of the Old Testament, the answer to that question is going to be a long time. <laughs> because Israel just continues to yo-yo 
uh, in obedience and disobedience. But let's not, you know, let's not just be like, tisk tisk Israel. Um, it, God asks that of us. How long will you? How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? We have a saying around here. It's okay not to be okay. You like that? I, I think that's true. Like it's, it's okay not to be okay because none of us are. Huh. Everybody uh, in here is walking with a limp. A little bit of one. We all got issues. Everybody here struggles with this kind of life, right? And so we want our church to be a place where as you're not okay, uh, we can come together and we can seek God for the ways that we can be okay. And, and so it's okay for you not to be okay. You don't have to put on airs to come in here. You don't have to dress a certain way or be a, you know, it's okay not to be okay. But there's a very important second phrase to that. And let me remind you of it. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And so just because we function in the grace that God has given us doesn't mean that we're soft on sin or we don't think that we should continue to grow in our relationship to him, to continue to become more molded to the character of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And so God looks down at us and he says, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? That's why the Bible is just... Uh, you know, over and over again, uh, the story of repentance and return, of um, renewal and redemption, of, of leaving the old and becoming new. Uh, where is God needing you to obey him today? Submit to him, honor him as he's given life to you. The second thing that we need to cover just briefly is God's provision uh, should teach us to depend on him. If you go all the way back to verse six, sorry, I'm bouncing around a bunch, but verse six, uh, the, the idea is just um, uh, being presented by Moses and Aaron. God has told them, I'm going to bring bread from heaven. And so Moses and Aaron said to all the people, well, at evening, uh, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out. What was he referring to? The quail. Hey, tonight, just so you know, birds everywhere. You guys want meat? It's coming. And when the birds arrive and you start, you know, having fried chicken, quail, whatever it is, um, I, I want you to remember that it was the Lord. The same Lord who brought you the quail was the same Lord who brought you out of Egypt. He goes on and he says, and in the morning, uh, referring to the bread, the manna that is promised, he says, you shall see the glory of the Lord, the miracles of a mighty God who controverts the rules of nature. Nobody here has picked up manna from the ground. Everybody gets that, right? Because it doesn't occur naturally. This is a supernatural thing. You'll see the glory of the Lord come in this unknown substance that we'll call manna. And it's all going to be because he's heard your grumbling. He cares. And he wants to bless you. Yeah. You know, when we go through life, um, we have a choice in how we interpret what's going on, right? Everybody agree? Glass half full, glass half empty. We've all heard this kind of stuff, right? Uh, the, the same goes for our spiritual experience or our spiritual, uh, spiritual approach to life. We, we can either come to things and uh, in doubt be disgruntled with a God who seems to not care and refuses to provide what we want, right? That's one choice. 
Israel's doing that over and over again. But the other choice is what God is instructing Moses and Aaron to share with these guys. Hey, when you see the quail, you'll know that it's God who's your deliverer. When you see the bread, you'll give God the glory that he deserves. That's why I'm providing for you. To teach you to obey. To show you that you are utterly dependent on me. And there's no other way you can live. So I wrote it this way. Uh, We have the choice to be uh, wow and amen people. In awe of God and his grace to us. And grateful to him for his provision. Or we can be ow and oh man, people, and just walk through life disappointed, blind to the provision of our God. Which one are you? Good. You know, I want to be the kind of believer who, uh, as trials come up, because that's what Jesus promised, right? In this world, you will have trouble, right? But I want to be the guy as troubles come up. I, I, I survey, uh, you know, the future no matter how bleak. And my question is, uh, or should be, man, how's God going to get us out of this one? Not, why did God get us into this one? It's totally different. It's totally different. I want to choose faith over doubt, even though they're two sides of the same coin. I want to choose rejoicing over complaining. Two sides of a different coin. Oh, I'm almost done. Uh, but I do uh, want to just point out that this manna stuff, it's going to keep coming for 40 years. Every morning for 40 years, guys. Like God's going to feed Israel for 40 years, like a food truck from heaven. Every morning, 40 years. And manna plays this incredible role in the rest of scripture. Obviously, don't have time to detail it all, uh, but we were taught to pray. Uh, give us this day our... We, we, we were reminded, uh, well, Moses even reminded Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, it says this, he says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and he fed you with manna. He's, he's pointing them back. This is later in, the, in their existence. He's pointing them back to Exodus 16. He says, you guys remember when you were hungry? He, he says, and, and God fed you with manna which you did not know, which didn't occur naturally, nor did your fathers know that you might make, or that he might make you know that man, wait, wait for it, does not live by what? Where have I heard that before? Well, if you've been around the Bible any, any at all, uh, maybe you've uh, heard Jesus quote this uh, as he's in his own wilderness, hungry from 40 days of fasting. And his adversary, Satan, comes to him and says, hey, son of man, why don't you just turn those rocks into bread? You're so hungry, just make yourself a sandwich. And Jesus goes back to the manna. And he says, you know what? My physical needs aren't my chief needs. Man does not live by bread alone. I need my father. I need God in the right place in my life. That's what I really need. Food, yeah. And and Jesus picks up this theme of bread. I'll I'll just share this with you. In John chapter 6, he has this incredible opportunity to be Moses 2.0. 
because he's teaching a bunch of people, again, out in the wilderness, away from the stores and other places where they might be able to feed themselves. And there's 5,000 men and their families, and, and it's come time for the evening meal, and there's nothing to eat. And does anybody remember the story? Like the disciples are like, send them away. Get them out of here. We got nothing to eat here. And Jesus says, no, go find out what we got. And so they, you know, begrudgingly go out, and they find this one kid with some Lunchables. He's got five loaves of bread and two little fish. Don't miss that. What does he got? Meat and bread. What was Israel longing for? Pots of meat and bread to the full. Yeah, don't miss that. And so he's got this little meager lunch of this one boy, and Jesus says, perfect. And he blesses it, and they feed everybody with leftovers, 12 baskets full. Well, this, this, you know, this miracle is something so amazing. As John 6 goes forward, the people who experienced it just start following Jesus everywhere. They want to see more signs and more wonders. And Jesus looks at him. He says, oh, you guys, it's not about the bread. It's not about sandwiches. You guys just want to see the miracles. I want to give you life. And so he tells them, read it, John 6, read it this week. He says, I am the bread of life. And if you eat from me, if you drink from me, you will never hunger again. You will never thirst again. I'm not here to do tricks. I'm here to give you life. He finishes his teaching in that chapter. He says, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate. I'm not talking manna. All those guys ate that bread and they eventually died. But whoever feeds on this bread, Jesus is like, hey, who's got two thumbs and is the bread of life? This guy. Whoever feeds on what I bring, on what I teach, they'll never die. They'll live forever. So now, if you're afflicted, let me comfort you. There's a God who sees your afflictions, who knows, who even allowed and guided you into the trials that you face. And when he leads us to a place where we lack, his grace is always sufficient. And he will walk us through whatever is in our life. That's our comfort as Christians in this country, in this pandemic, in this election season, in whatever's worrying you. God's got it. If you're afflicted with those fears, be comforted. But if you're comfortable, let me afflict you. Your disobedience is an abomination to a holy God. It has no place in the Christ life. So it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. Repent. Seek accountability. Be renewed. Take seriously the grip of sin in your life and be freed from it by the grace of God. Because when God gives to us, he wants us to obey him when God gives us, he wants us to depend, on, to depend on him. And the last thing is this, man, <laughs> how amazing it is that God sent his son, the bread of life, 
so that we, through faith in him, might receive life. We just celebrated it earlier as we took communion, right? We took of the bread and of the cup, and it's an emblem of his body and his blood shed for us, but it's this picture of our faith being in him and his, his mercy and grace being poured out on us as we put our faith in life or in our lives on him. So now, as we close, we're gonna sing this song. We sang it with the men on Monday night, and I was like, that's it. That's what this sermon's about. It's about our utter dependence, our utter need for the bread of life. Stand and sing about the air we breathe. Let's sing.